Welcome to DLC Live, your source for educational and inspirational interviews with mental health experts and advocates from around the world. Now, here's your host, creator of the DLC Anxiety Worldwide Mental Health Community, Dean Stott. Dr. Raymond. So nice to be with you today. It, it is so nice to, um, to, share, to share the platform with you. Hello, hello. Hi, can you hear me yet? I can hear you. Fantastic. I was just saying, Dr. Raymond, it's, it, it's a pleasure to have you on the platform. Um, yeah, your work is incredible. And, and just to be able to take um, just a little bit of your expertise and share it with our community, uh, I'm forever grateful for that. Well, thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share some of our work. That's brilliant. And just for, for people who might not know about the Amen Clinics, um, about yourself, um, can you just give a brief introduction, um, how long you've been practicing, how long you've been treating mental health conditions, and just a little brief explanation about the Amen Clinics uh, and everything that you do there. So we have eight, soon to be nine clinics uh, across the United States. We've been at this a long time been a psychiatrist nearly 40 years. Uh, Amen Clinics has been around for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And we think you should actually look at the brain before you go about changing it. And so we do a study called Brain Spect Imaging. We looks at blood flow and activity, looks at how your brain works. And we've done 160,000 scans on people from 150 countries. So we have a lot of experience. We see little kids and old people and everybody in between. We treat um, all the letters from ADD, anxiety, autism, uh, bipolar disorder, uh, schizophrenia, PTSD, um, and do a lot of work with memory and brain optimization. And, you know, I actually really hate the term mental illness. I think it's wrong. It's yeah. shaming. It's stigmatizing. When you call someone mental, that's not a good thing. And um, our brain imaging work teaches us that most psychiatric problems are brain health issues that steal people's minds. And what we discovered is once you get your brain right, your mind tends to follow. And so I have a new book called The End of Mental Illness, where I'm really trying to get us to stop using the term mental illness, call these things what they really are, brain health issues. And in that way, everybody will want help. No one wants to see a psychiatrist because no one wants to be labeled as defective or abnormal, but every one of the people watching wants a better brain. So what if mental health was brain health, and then what we do is just be much more effective at helping people who suffer? So, so you're saying um, take away the term mental um, out of the equation and change it to brain health. I, I really like the idea of that. And I think like you say, um, there is a stigma to mental, mental illness. And um, a lot of people would say that anxiety disorders 
potentially don't even fall into a category of mental illness, almost because it's a condition that can be changed. Yes, but it clearly causes people to suffer. Yeah. And it's a condition that if you don't treat it can lead people to drug and alcohol abuse. It can lead to loneliness and social isolation and suicide. And, mm. and it's highly treatable. But, you know, schizophrenia is treatable. Bipolar disorder is treatable. Depression is treatable. I just think how we name things in psychiatry is a mess. And mostly because we never look at the underlying biology. And what other medical doctor acts like that, right? That they don't look at the organ they treat. And clearly the brain is responsible for most psychiatric conditions. And at Amen Clinics, we just think you should look at it. And then we should treat it. And our first thought is not medication. I mean, we use medicine when we think it's appropriate, but we want to make sure you're treating the organ and getting it healthy. So lifestyle interventions, stop doing things that hurt it, smoking, alcohol, marijuana, and do things that help it, exercise, mental exercise. And when it comes to anxiety, really learning how to manage your mind is so important. I talk about killing the ants, the automatic negative thoughts that steal your mind. People with anxiety disorders, they're masterful at predicting the worst, and then they make it worse still. And uh, a simple exercise that I use with my patients is whenever you feel sad, or mad or nervous or out of control, just start writing down what you're thinking and ask yourself if it's true. I have nine different kinds of ants, like fortune-telling ants and mind-reading ants. And using mental discipline to direct your mind, it's just so helpful. Um, when we test people, they often have very high negativity bias. Their brain just goes to the dark place quickly. And so we have to train positivity bias, like you can train someone to hit a baseball or play golf or drive a car. We can train our minds to help us rather than hurt us. And what would you say, what's your opinion on CBT therapy um, as a form of treatment? So I'm a huge fan of CBT. I think it actually should be taught in the second grade. You know, why do you have to develop a panic disorder to learn that you don't really have to believe every stupid thing you think? Uh, and I'm also a fan of meditation and hypnosis and deep relaxation and I think we should be introducing these in schools so that we teach children to manage their minds so that when they have a breakup as a teenager or they lose a job as a young adult, they don't have to fall off an emotional cliff because they already have skill to manage their mind. Now, it's much easier to manage your mind if your brain works right. 
So at Amen Clinics, we think, okay, step number one, look at and optimize the physical functioning of your brain. And it just changes everything because we have a high school course called Brain Thrive by 25. It's in all 50 states. It's in seven countries where we teach kids to love and take care of their brains. And we found it decreased drug, alcohol, and tobacco use, decreased depression, and improved self-esteem. And so that's job one, is optimize the physical functioning of your brain. And then job two is, well, then you have to program it. So if you think of the brain as the hardware of your soul, um, you have to get that right first, and then you could program it. So if you do CBT, but you have the effects of traumatic brain injury, well, it's not going to be as effective, right? If you just think of hardware and software. Mm -hmm. No, um, and obviously um, just regarding um, when you do the scans, um, could you just, um, just describe that process uh, just a little bit? Um, I believe it uh, involves, um, is it like injecting a dye um, that goes into the, to the brain area and highlights certain areas within the brain? So it's not a dye. It's called a radiopharmaceutical. And it, the hardest part of the procedure is getting a little tiny needle into a vein in your arm. And we inject medicine that goes and lights up the brain. It actually gives us a picture of living brain tissue. So it's different than a CAT scan or an MRI. Those are anatomy studies that show what the brain actually physically looks like. SPECT looks at how the brain works. And we generally do it twice, once at rest and once when you're doing a concentration task. Because what we found is people have ADD and learning problems when they try to concentrate, their brain shuts down rather than turns on. It's like the harder they try, the worse it gets. And what the scans tell us that you cannot get from history or a mental status exam is, does the brain work too hard, so I have to calm it, or not hard enough, have to stimulate it? I just got off the phone with parents of a seven-year-old boy who has terrible ADD, ADHD, but on a stimulant, he became almost manic and aggressive. And when we looked at his brain, his brain works way too hard. It's like putting him on a stimulant is like pouring gasoline on a fire. We need to calm it down. The scans also say, you know, have you had a brain injury in the past that's still there, that's significant? And if you asked me, you say, hey, Dr. Amen, what's the single most important lesson you've learned from 160,000 scans is mild traumatic brain injury ruins people's lives and nobody knows about it because nobody's looking. Right. It also shows, is the brain toxic? So are you being poisoned from, for example, mold exposure at work or at home? Um, did that surgery I had where I had general anesthesia damage my brain? Have I been exposed to carbon monoxide? Recently, I'm in Southern California, and recently we had all the fires. Well, breathing all the toxic air 
clearly bad for the brain. So does your brain work too hard, not hard enough, trauma, toxins, all very important things to know what to do to help people. I had one guy started with a panic disorder and his doctor then put him on Xanax, then that didn't help, then put him on Prozac and he became suicidal, at which point he came to see me. And he had a big dent in the left front side of his brain. And I'm thinking, why do you have a dent? And I'm like, you ever had a brain injury? And lo and behold, two weeks before his first panic attack, he had a mountain biking accident where he didn't lose consciousness, but he broke his helmet in a fall going down uh, a mountain. And no, the medicine's not going to fix it. In fact, if you have low blood flow and activity in the left front side of your brain, well, what does Xanax do? Lowers it further. What does Prozac do? Lowers it further. And so inadvertently, the doctor who was trying to help was making him worse. What's your opinion on uh, using medication if someone's anxiety level is like an extreme level uh, to almost bring the anxiety level down uh, to then tackle like on a CBT front? Um, you know, I'm not a fan of benzodiazepines like Xanax and Klonopin and Ativan because once you start them, they're really hard to stop. Um, so I prescribe very little of those medications. If I have someone with a lot of anxiety and I can't do any work, psychological work, then sometimes I think of anti-seizure medicines to help calm things down. Buspar I might use. Um, I make something called GABA calming that has GABA and magnesium, really helpful. So I'm always trying to go with natural ways to heal the brain if I can. Now, sometimes they don't work and you need medication, but it's just never the first thing I think about. No, that's wonderful. And that's a, that's a really good insight, Dr. Eamon. Um, if I can just ask a, a few questions that uh, the followers have been uh, submitting. Uh, they've been really eager to get the questions across. So I'm just gonna fire uh, through a few if that's okay with you. Sure. Yeah, so the first question is, uh, why do we repeat intrusive thoughts, even though we know uh, when we're getting these thoughts, it's increasing anxiety? Well, it's almost like you have a little scratch on a vinyl record in a part of the brain called the basal ganglia. And the brain just repeats it over and over again. But the more you give in to repeating it, the more you'll have to repeat it. And so um, there's a technique I really like a lot. I learned from my friend, Stephen Hayes, is number one, give your mind a name. Because when you give it a name, you actually separate it from you. And then you don't have to listen to it or you can choose to listen to it or not. So the name I give to my mind is Hermie because Hermie was a raccoon pet I had when I was 16. Oh. And Hermie used to make noise all the time. <laughs> and, and I'm like, what, what do you want? I never knew what she wanted. 
And so it was just babbling. And so whenever I find my mind doing things I don't like, I don't listen to it. And you can choose to begin to turn it off. Another way to get rid of those repetitive thoughts is to sing them over and over and over. And you can sing them like to happy birthday. Uh, so, you know, if you do, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, bad, bad. Um, you know, sing it to any tune you want. And then you just begin to feel how ridiculous it is. Another strategy is say that intrusive thought like you're stupid as fast as you can over and over for 30 seconds. And what they've found, researchers have found that begins to just take the energy away from it. Thoughts are not you. You are not your thoughts. Thoughts are a product often of a brain that's not functioning, right? And if you work to get your brain better, mm -hmm. your mind stops some of the noise and some of the nonsense. No, that's wonderful. And I've never heard that happy birthday technique as well. Um, so uh, thank you for the insight with that. Uh, the next question, Dr. Eamon, is what uh, would your best advice be to someone who has health anxiety regarding the heart? So they may notice that they've got heart palpitations, or maybe they've got a little bit of chest pain. Would you, would you, would you say that what, what you, your best advice would be uh, to someone who's obviously focusing on, on everything to do with the heart? Well, I mean, the first thing is get it checked out because yeah. there may be an issue. Mm -hmm. What often comes back is they have mitral valve prolapse because mitral valve prolapse is completely um, benign and related to anxiety. So there is a small abnormality, uh, but it doesn't kill anybody. It just makes people really afraid. And learning how to distract your mind, how to calm your body is so important. Now, sometimes people go overboard and they've been checked out by 17 different doctors. And I'll tell you, one of them is going to find a problem because that's how doctors make money. So you have to be very thoughtful and careful. If you have 16 out of 17 doctors telling you you do not have heart disease, I would go with the 16 rather than yeah. the one. No, that's really good advice. Um, you've uh, touched on the next question a little bit before, um, but it's, uh, do you agree with certain supplements and vitamins? Um, and do you believe that they, uh, some of them decrease anxiety levels? Oh, no question. Uh, yeah. In my new book, The End of Mental Illness, there's a whole chapter on mind medicine versus nutraceuticals. And I give you like 10 things to do before you take medicine. And magnesium is one. GABA is another. Theanine from green tea is another. Um, ashwagandha has been shown to calm anxiety and help you focus. Now, along that line, people always ask me about CBD. And I'm cautious because CBD was unleashed on the world with very little uh, study. Yeah. And I think we just, it wouldn't be my first choice. Uh, I like GABA a lot and have studied it and found that it helps to soothe or settle the brain. 
Uh, no, that's really interesting. Like you said, regarding CB, CBD, um, there have obviously been small studies uh, that have shown promise, but um, you believe that um, we need longer, longer research uh, with more people involved, yeah? I do. And, you, you know, I mean, I'm also a researcher. I've published 80 scientific studies. And I know it's the person that's asking the question you have to wonder about, you know, it's like, so who's got a dog in the fight? And if the CBD companies are producing the studies, you should be a bit suspicious. Yeah. Um, and people go, but CBD is not psychoactive. Well, then how does it help social anxiety if it's not psychoactive? Of course it's psychoactive. Um, and, and maybe it'll turn out to be a wonderful adjunct. I just, it's not the first thing I think about. No, but that's really insightful because I do get a lot of questions uh, regarding CBD. So, um, thank you for that. Um, the next question is, are there more people with anxiety disorders in present day than 10 to 20 years ago? Or is it that we're just more open to talk about it? Now there's more people, there's and more. since March, it's probably doubled. Yeah. So, and in March, I mean, I my book, The End of Mental Illness, came out March third. So, right at the beginning of the pandemic, and so I wrote it last year, and I'm like, we are at epidemic levels of anxiety and depression, yeah. and those epidemic levels have doubled. Um, and, you know, one of the problems with anxiety in the pandemic is people have mismatched anxiety. So one, like a couple, one is on a scale of one to 10. She's a nine, like she's not going outside. Everything's been disinfected. Uh, she wouldn't go anywhere near someone who doesn't have a mask on. She's not shaking anybody's hand. And she's married to someone who's a two who is at the beach uh, or I don't know if you saw the football game between Notre Dame and Clemson, but at the end of the game, all the Notre Dame students from the fan jumped on the field. There's like 30,000 people there. I'm like, are these people insane? Mm -hmm. um, and I think I'm like about a six on the anxiety scale with COVID, but uh, these people were clearly a one. They were not anxious at all. And it's this mismatch that gets couples into trouble because couples are struggling now more than ever uh, because of the pandemic. And regarding the pandemic, how long do you think we'll continue to see an increase in mental, um, in, in mental health conditions like anxiety and depression? Would you say that this is going to potentially be on the uprise over the next few years? We're going to feel the effects of this for the rest of my life. I'm pretty certain. Um, just because of the isolation, the loss, the loneliness, the trauma that has happened. We, we've not begun to even hear uh, the amount of pain that this thing has unleashed. Now, there's also been a lot of good things about the pandemic. Families are closer. Uh, parents are having more time than ever with their children. I mean, by and large, that's a good thing. Not all parents would say that, but by and large, you know, we've been running so fast that in most families have two parent working families 
that the level of bonding has been strained. And now people are coming together around the pandemic. And I think I read a statistic where eight out of 10 families felt closer because of fighting this thing together. Yeah, no, um, yeah. And I've seen much um, togetherness, even, even in the online anxiety uh, platform and Instagram, just the community coming together. And it's just a beautiful thing, people sharing their own experience on their own personal journey to recovery. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really nice to see. Uh, the next question, Dr. Eamon, is what imbalance in the brain causes anxiety disorders? So is there a pinpoint like on a certain scan that you could look at and say, yeah, uh, that's causing an anxiety disorder, or is there different different things? Well, they're different types. You know, it's one of the big lessons from imaging is that all psychiatric illnesses are not single or simple disorders. They all have multiple types. And so sometimes you can have anxiety because you have really low frontal lobe activity. The frontal lobes are your brakes. So they stop you from saying or doing certain things. They inhibit the limbic or emotional structures. And so if your frontal lobes are sleepy, you're more likely to be anxious. Sometimes those limbic structures like the amygdala are working too hard. And so you're always on the edge sensing fear when fear may not be there. Um, an interesting region, the basal ganglia uh, that respond to dopamine, that when they work too hard, people tend to get those repetitive thoughts that go over and over what we see in OCD, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, so you can have too much dopamine hitting your pleasure centers and just make you manic and agitated. Um, so those are some of the regions that tend to be involved. And what would you say, uh, what's your take on serotonin and uh, cortisol? Uh, so it's always this chemical dance, right? There's a chemical dance going on between dopamine and serotonin, and they counterbalance each other. As dopamine goes up, serotonin goes down, and serotonin goes up, dopamine goes down. Um, think of dopamine with pleasure and motivation and drive and serotonin with mood, but also settles things down. So when you put someone on an SSRI like Prozac or one of its sisters, it actually can decrease drive and decrease right. motivation. You become one of those don't worry, be happy people, which you could get fired from your job if you don't, you know, have enough anxiety. I know it's an anxiety platform, but I often say um, you have to have some anxiety. People with low levels of anxiety die the earliest from accidents and preventable illnesses. So one of the lies, I'm working on a new book on happiness. One of the lies of happiness is don't worry, be happy. And those people are the most unhappy because their relationships aren't as good as they could be and they don't have as much, you know, resources or success as they might want to be. So let's just start with you need some anxiety. Too much obviously causes people to suffer, yeah. uh, but we don't want to get rid of it. 
We just want it to be at a healthy level. And cortisol is so important. Uh, it really does help protect you. But when it's too high for too long, it shrinks the hippocampus, one of the major mood and memory structures in the brain. And so learning how to balance cortisol is important. So it's this really wonderful chemical soup. There are a couple of other fun ones like phenylethylamines that when you eat chocolate, it just lights up your brainstem to alert you that something fun is about to happen. <laughs> Oxytocin, vasopressin, uh, you know, the trust hormones, uh, which I just find so fascinating that you can give a uh, rodent that tends to be promiscuous uh, oxytocin and they'll just bond to the first other rodent they have sex with, which I think is so interesting how we're, our biochemistry is more controlling than we would like to give it credit. <laughs> That's really insightful. Um, and the final question uh, from the platform is, um, derealization, um, de um, de um, what is it that's actually happening in our brain to make us feel that we're, we're not real? And why does it feel so dangerous if it isn't? You know, what I've found is it's actually caused from trouble in one of your temporal lobes. The temporal lobes are in, they're underneath your temples, behind your eyes. They're involved in mood stability, uh, memory, learning, temper control. Um, they're very important, but they're also called the what pathway. They name what things are. And if they're not working right, you might actually not think you or a part of you is you. And when we balance and fix that, people just feel so much more integrated and so much better. Often they've had a head injury in the past uh, or some sort of toxic exposure or infection that triggered it. So would you say that that isn't one of the more common, um, common symptoms with someone who, like with the, the regular person who might have an anxiety disorder? Yeah, no, it's not common in my experience, but you know, I've treated it a whole bunch of times over the years. Right, that's wonderful. Um, and I just have one more question from one of my colleagues that so you wanted me to get the question in, so I will ask you. Um, he, he just wants to know what your take on emotional crutches are. Um, do you believe in them? Um, do you think that they hinder an anxiety recovery? G give me an example. So, for example, um, someone... Um, they they can go out to to the uh, to the mall as long as they have their bottle of water with them because they know that when they take a sip of the water that reduces their anxiety. So my colleague says that having that bottle of water to hand is like an emotional crutch, uh, and it and it's um, almost hindering a um, recovery process. Well, if it gets you out of your house, I'd be a huge fan of it. Okay. And your brain is 80% water. Anything that dehydrates you is bad for your brain. Mm -hmm. 
So, so I would be a fan of the bottle of water. If you needed a cigarette to do it, I wouldn't be a fan because that'll prematurely age your yeah. brain. I think, you know, we have to be kind to ourselves. And, you know, if something helps you move along the path, as long as it's not hurting you, um, you know, at some point, hopefully you'll give it up if it's not necessary. But, uh, you know, I, I tend to just support the good impulses in my patients and myself rather than the ones that hurt them. No, that's wonderful. Uh, and I think that answers his question. So thank you, um, Dr. Eamon. And just, uh, just finally, before, before we go, um, if I can just ask you um, what you're working on at the moment. So, and also, where, where can my followers purchase your books? Because obviously you are a 12 times best-selling New York uh, Times author, um, which you must be incredibly proud of. Um, I'm guessing you're going for number 13. Um, so I'm just wondering, when is that out and where can they uh, find the rest of them? So I have a really fun book coming out in March called Your Brain is Always Listening. Mm -hmm. And it's about the dragons from the past that are still breathing fire on your emotional brain. So I have an anxious dragon and a wounded dragon and uh, my favorite dragon is the ancestral dragon, where your issues are actually not yours, that they belong to your parents or your grandparents, and their trauma actually got written into the genes they passed on to you. And all the dragons have origin stories and how what triggers them and how people react. But most importantly, what do you do about them? And it's very practical, and uh, I think they'll like it. So all of my books are available at Amazon or Barnes & Noble, anywhere great books are sold. And they can learn about our brain imaging work at amenclinics.com. So amen, like the last word in a prayer, clinics.com, or learn about some of the supplements we create to balance your mind at BrainMD. Um, and just one other thing, um, you know, the imaging work has taught me that all brains are different. And so I created a brain health assessment to know which of the 16 brain types people have, and then what supplements might be good for their type. It's free, takes about six minutes, brainhealthassessment.com. That's brilliant. What I'll do, Dr. Eamon, I'll put that in my stories and do a swipe up to the assessment so everyone can go and check it out. So that's wonderful. And you said regarding the supplements, are they on the Eamon Clinic's website or did you say that's a different website? Um, they can get to it from eamonclinics.com, but it's uh, the brand is brainmd.com. Brilliant. Well, that just leaves me to say thank you very much for the time that you've uh, spent with us um, on the platform. Um, it's been really insightful. Um, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a career highlight for myself, Dr. Eamon, to, to have someone uh, with your expertise on the platform. So I really appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you so much. Uh, my team is just a big fan of your work and anything we can do to help people struggling, uh, it makes us happy. That's wonderful. Thank you again, Dr. Raymond, and I'll speak to you soon. Take care.
Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to DLC Live. Be sure to follow Dean on Instagram at DLC Anxiety. Check our website at dlcanxiety.com and grab yourself a copy of our latest book, Untangle Your Anxiety, on Amazon today. See you next time.